on a thousand planets and spreading out. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. Danger, Will Robinson. Danger. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. To the bat poles. May the force be with you. Who is that mask man? Avengers, assemble. Good afternoon and welcome to the Fantastic Forum. I'm your host, Ulysses E. Campbell. As always, the show starts with genre-related news. This year, Marvel Comics character Captain America celebrates the 80th anniversary of his debut. Captain America Comics No. 1 bears a March 1941 cover date, although the periodical was actually available on newsstands in December 1940. The publisher was Timely Comics. Other Golden Age superheroes from Timely, Namor the Submariner and the Android Human Torch predated Cap both having made their first appearances in 1939. Marvel Comics is observing the anniversary with a giant-sized tribute issue that hits the stands this month. Marvel has also teamed with the Folio Society for a hardbacked edition that collects 10 cap stories from early wartime tales to modern classics by some of the greatest comics talent ever. The edition also includes a perfect 64-page replica issue of 1941's Captain America Comics No. 1 reproduced in its entirety, every page scanned from an original copy, including all promos and vintage ads. Last week also saw the 70th anniversary of Dennis the Menace, the syndicated comic character created by cartoonist Hank Ketchum, debuted in print on March 12, 1951. And cartoonist Al Jaffe celebrated his 100th birthday last week on March 13th. Jaffe is, of course, known for his work on Mad Magazine. Jaffe originated the popular Mad Foldout and was a regular contributor to the satirical publication for 65 years. The Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America, SFWA, announced the finalist for the 2020 Nebula Awards this week. This year's awards will be presented on June 5, 2021 during the 2021 Nebula Conference. You can find a complete list of the nominees on one of the FF social media platforms. And while you're there, if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and Instagram and like us on Facebook. We like to be followed and we love to be liked. The CW has released its first look at Nick Tarabee as the villainous Eclipso on Stargirl. You can see the image on one of the aforementioned FF social media pages. Stargirl returns for its second season on the CW Network this summer. And some sad news this week, as actor Henry Darrow passed away on March 15th. Darrow had the distinction of being the first Latino to play Zorro on TV. He was known to genre audiences for many roles on such shows as Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Voyager, Zorro, Knight Rider, Airwolf, and The Incredible Hulk, among many others. He was 87 years old. And actor Yapet Koto also died this week. He was one of the few performers of his generation 
to break Hollywood racial stereotypes. Cotto was known to genre audiences for his roles in such films as Alien, The Running Man, and Live and Let Die. He was 81. Now it's time to introduce our panel. Today we're talking about the new CW Network show, Superman and Lois. Joining me are Camille Richardson. Of course, you know Camille from previous episodes. Uh, she is a, a comic book retailing guru and also a very talented cosplayer. We also are graced with the presence of Warren Bernard, who is a comics historian and collector and also the executive director of the Small Press Expo, SPX. And uh, even though he has not been with us for many shows, we're very happy that he agreed to come back. It's Andrew Farrago, who is also an author and the curator of the Cartoon Art Museum out in San Francisco. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. Hi. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, all of you, thank you so much for being on this show. Now, uh, of course, uh, you recognize the familiar John Williams theme in the background. Yes, we are talking about the one, the only, the man of tomorrow, the last son of Krypton, the Metropolis Marvel, Superman himself. Well, because, of course, the CW has a brand new show that debuted uh, just about a month ago, uh, in fact, I believe it was, well, don't start me to lie, it was either the fourth or the fifth episode that aired earlier this week, Superman and Lois, and brand new take on the Superman legend in that Superman not only is married to Lois Lane, but they are parents of teenage twins, and uh, it's a very interesting dynamic. I, I heartily endorse this show if you were a fan of comics. But I thought that we would uh, talk a little bit about uh, Superman and not just the Superman in the CW show, but also the foundation upon which this show is based. Because, hey, we know Superman debuted in action comics way back in 1938. And so much has happened since then. Radio, television, cartoons, movies. I mean, you name it. This character has uh, been plane. there and back. Yeah, exactly. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. You know. So yeah, I mean, this this it, it, a pop culture phenomena. In fact, I remember reading several years ago that, uh, and this is this is a true fact. The Superman S is the single most recognized symbol on Earth, more than the Nike oh. swoosh more than the McDonald's golden arches, you know, more than any other thing that you can point to. You take the Superman S anywhere on earth and people recognize it, you know, because of the, uh, the, the pop culture power of this particular it, character. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> well, and, and, you know, Camille, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, you know, it really, no, because uh, in contemporary uh, times, Batman has supplanted Superman as the character that uh, Warner Brothers wants to promote. I mean, I remember there was a there was a time when it was Superman. I mean, and that was that was this was as the expression goes, this was the girl you wanted to take to the dance. And then right after uh, the um, 1989 movie, it sort of flipped. 
But in recent years, we haven't been able to get Superman or Batman. You know, when they come out with the new show, it's been Supergirl or it's been Batwoman, even though they're continuing to use the stories from, uh, you know, Superman and Batman. But, well, they, uh, they, you I, know, they, 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 that actually started with The Dark Knight in 86. Yeah, you're talking about the graphic novel, the yeah. uh, well, Miller. Well, it, wasn't, yeah. it, was, it, wasn't, it was originally put out as comic books. Yes, I'm sorry. Right, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> and I was buying it as comic books. Right, I'm sorry, Warren. Who's the old person on this broadcast? <laughs> it's me. I that year. <laughs> so, oh. so anyway, so, they, so, so that whole thing having to do with this flip between Superman and Batman really started there because there was this you know, uh, uh, you know, darkness became the big thing coming out of it. You know, Watchmen and mm. um, Dark Knight hitting the same year. That it, it, it's difficult to do that kind of thing with Superman because he would just like kill everybody. Okay, yeah. so you you didn't have that that real opportunity to go dark with Superman because of the implications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I tell you what, uh, for the purposes of this, this this discussion, let's start off talking about some of the differences between uh, the Superman that appears in Superman and Lois and previous versions in uh, comics, movies, and on television. And to that end, I want to play you two clips. The first is from Adventures of Superman, the premiere episode back in 1952. The second is from... Batman versus Superman in 2016. Let's take a listen. Bus will be along any minute now, Clark. I still need to leave you, Mother. I'm gonna be just fine. With Cousin Edith coming on to live with me and all. Besides, you've got a great responsibility to the world, Clark. You've got to accept it. Make use of your great powers. You sure you packed that costume I made for you? It's in the suitcase. Nothing will ever hurt it, Clark. Not acid, nor fire, nor nothing else. It's made out of the red and blue blanket you was wrapped in the day your paw and me. I know, Mother. Here comes the bus. Goodbye, Mom. Bye, son. People hate what they don't understand. But they see what you do, and they know who you are. You're not a killer. A threat. I never wanted this world to have you. Be their hero, Clark. Be their monument, be their angel. Be anything they need you to be. Or be none of it. You don't owe this world a thing. You never did. Warren, since you were talking already, you might as well continue. <laughs> well, uh, you know, for for me, one of the differences is, is and the, it's really not a difference, because um, when I was in my prime Superman buying, a, you know, ages of 12 to whatever, back in the oh-so-long-ago 1960s, we had these things called imaginary stories. Right. So so they, they basically pop would plop these things down 
where Superman is splitting a Superman 1, Superman 2. Superman is trapped by Lex Luthor. Somehow he got him on a Red Sun planet and kills him. There was, you know, Superman, um, Lex Luthor got a, got a hold of a whole bunch of green kryptonite and killed Superman that way. But they were all imaginary stories. <laughs> Superman red and Superman blue. Superman, Don't forget Superman, about Superman. them. <laughs> right, exactly. So for me, because... I've been looking at this for a very long time. And, and then, you know, uh, also there was the Sandman Superman that came along, or Superman versus Sandman in the um, 1971, where all the kryptonite evaporated from the universe, okay, and turned to iron. So this, to me, is just another one of those sort of imaginary stories that, that there really is no, not anymore, there used to be, there is no more single Superman storyline. And hmm. it's actually that way with a lot of the superhero characters. So this, so this is just my view of the world that, oh, okay, you know, I, I can accept it because the canon has been blown up so many times over the years. Hmm. You know, and I, and I sort of like that interpretation. It's, it's for somebody like me who's a purist, uh, it means that I don't have to be nearly as judgmental and hard-lined. People also forget that there used to be a, a comic strip, okay, that started 1939. And if you read that, you, you came to realize in one version of Superman, he was just an orphan that Ma and Pa Kent didn't exist, right? So there's, there's been a revision of Superman that's been going on since day one in terms of his origin and in terms of the story. Yeah. Well, and sometimes these things running concurrently, because yes. as I recall, uh, in one version of Superman, uh, he well, when he leaves Smallville, he begins his career as Superman. He's never had a career as Superboy. And then yeah. there's this whole yes. another history where, oh, right. he's Superboy and the world knows of Superboy who grows into Superman. So, and, all right. But and, yes. and that's and that's been going on since 1938. <laughs> all right. So, um, Andrew, I. I um you know I like the the lead actor Tyler Hooklin and um you know Elizabeth Tullock who we've seen as Lois Lane we've seen them before in the aforementioned Supergirl TV show um and I heard the premise I heard they were going to be parents I thought they were going to be parents of a um you know of a young child but thanks to you know the DC multiverse uh, they're the parents of high school freshmen which is exciting and um you know i think they i think they got the heart of the the character i was i was i wasn't sure going into it and uh the cast the core cast is very likable and you know i think they they captured what works about superman and he's he's got a lot of heart he wants to do good like he's he's just driven to do good for everyone and they found some incredible conflict i i i don't have time for anybody who says superman is is a boring character or there's there's nothing you can do with somebody who's invincible and invulnerable and has all these <laughs> abilities uh because the show the show nailed it they they realized uh somebody who's on call 24 7 and more than anybody else, there are jobs that are only jobs for Superman. That means he's he's going to be absent. He's going to be absent from Lois's life at times, and she can she can handle that. She's a 
you know, she's very independent. She's driven. She is in her own way. She's dedicated full-time to helping everybody in the world. And their kids didn't sign on for this. Their kids wonder, where, why is dad gone this weekend? Again, where is he? What's, what's more important than spending time with us? And they found, they found a way to make someone as good and powerful and noble as Superman flawed. They gave him some vulnerabilities there, which I think, I think is great. Whenever, whenever a filmmaker or storyteller comes along and says, well, we have to make Superman a jerk. We have to make him careless or reckless or selfish in this way. Uh, I don't think it works, but they found exactly uh, the people behind Superman and Lois found exactly the way that Superman would be probably the only way he would be a negligent parent or husband is, you know, he cares too much about the world. He's, he takes his responsibilities too too much to heart. He knows there are things that he has to do for the benefit of everyone. And I think, I think that core, they, they just, they just, uh, got that exactly perfect well it certainly is a new interpretation of the character you know these tv producers they're always looking for something new some new angle some way to keep the story fresh you're listening to fantastic forum on wera 96.7 fm and streaming via wera.fm we are Arlington. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Andrew Farrago, Warren Bernard, and Camille Richardson. And we're talking about Superman. The man, the character, the myth. Uh, because, of course, there's a new CW series featuring Superman and Lois Lane, and they are parents. And, uh, and, and that's what we've been talking about. So, Camille, you're the only one that we haven't heard from on, on that particular uh, topic. So I kind of want to piggyback off of uh, both Andrew and Warren. Um, first being that, yes, that the fact that they captured him correctly, we saw vulnerabilities. The one thing I've always kind of said is with Superman, you know, you can look, well, you can look at DC and you can look at Marvel. Marvel, you know, you can relate more with. DC, it's always kind of been more of like the gods. But of DC, I feel like Superman is the most relatable character. So I find it very strange when folks don't kind of understand that. But, I mean, what is his disguise? His disguise is literally being a human and trying to blend in with everybody else. And I love how they capture that with being clumsy and, like, those little small things to kind of see him, you know, putting on the act. And I appreciated that. Um, but, you know, trying to fit in as a human even though he's an alien and his true self is really when he's superman but he can't just you know be that in the same way he has to hide himself so i find that as one of the biggest things and second being you know vulnerabilities with seeing him as a parent seeing him question himself seeing you know even certain parts even with lois of like you know why did you go about it that way or something and you kind of see him doubt it and like am i doing this right am i i can save the world but i can't seem to to have my kids believe in me and that just nailed it. And I feel like it pulls a lot from, like, the recent Tomasi stuff with Rebirth. And I really appreciated that run because it made Superman matter again. And it's going back to what makes Superman important and what makes it matter. It comes down to those ethics, those morals. And 
we're seeing that being instilled in a child. So you're seeing why it matters. And then going back to kind of the first thing with like the Batman stuff, you know, I agree. I think everything changed in the 80s. Um, I think with Frank Miller, not only did he revolutionize Batman at that time, he also revolutionized Daredevil and made them both far darker characters. Uh, but I would also even go into the fact of, look at the animated series. Like, Batman animated got started before the Superman animated, and at least most folks in my generation, when I was born 86, um, you know, everyone flocked to the Batman one. And I watched both growing up, but I really was more held by Batman, even though as I've grown up, like, I could give a crap about Batman. He's just, it's not my jam. Um, but I don't know if it's, like, a thing with, like, the 90s that, you know, made Superman and Cyclops, like, uber Boy Scouts, and it was just, like, you know, let's make it all about Wolverine and make it all about Batman and the cooler, darker guys. So I don't know if that kind of played into a lot of it that with this generation growing up, it kind of stuck with them. So I, th what I, I think the Superman and Lois show, I think one of the places it's really successful is it leans into that. It embraces, he is a Boy Scout. He is going to be, um, you know, my my wife saw my wife saw him, and she's just said like, "Oh, he's he's adorable." Like she just loved the the nerdy dad that he, <laughs> uh, and that that doesn't it doesn't feel like an act. It feels like that's that's legitimately who uh, good mid good old Midwestern, um, you know, corn fed Clark Kent is going to grow up into. I loved and, uh, him. Yeah, he was great. Well, you know, the interesting thing about uh, what you were saying, Camille, about his disguise, um, and, and, and you're dead on about that, but here's the thing, um, because you're right and you're wrong simultaneously, and this was, yeah. when, when I was a kid growing up, um, you know, we, we thought we had it all figured out, you know, because you couldn't separate the Kryptonian from his powers, you know, oh, Superman was who he really was, and Clark Kent was the disguise, and conversely, with Bruce Wayne and Batman, well, you know, rich millionaire Bruce Wayne, that was who he really was. And Batman was who he became to be able to uh, promote this crusade uh, against crime. But in terms of the psych, and this is the part that I think is interesting, in terms of the psychology of each one of these characters, it's the exact opposite. Because Kal-El was raised by the kindly Kents on this nondescript farm in Kansas, he actually, he, he, he was raised as Clark Kent. You know, that's how he was socialized. Superman is who he becomes to be able to use his wonderful gifts to help the world. But he sees himself very much as being Clark, where conversely, because of the trauma of the way his parents were killed, Bruce Wayne adopts the Bruce Wayne millionaire character as his disguise and who he sees himself as is this avenging creature of the night who's going out to take vengeance on the criminals that wronged him. You know, it's just, I mean, psychologically it's, it's totally whacked, but, um, Oh, uh, something else, uh, Camille, that I had wanted to mention that you had said in terms of this new dynamic of him being the father, and how you see where this godlike being with all these powers is suddenly flawed because it, he has issues frequently, as many parents do, relating to their 
teenage children. And I just wanted to point out that's a very similar, well, the helplessness at least, is a very similar dynamic to what has been presented before for Superman, but as a son. You know, and a lot was made in, in the comics and the TV series, uh, Superman, the movie with Chris Reeve, how he was helpless to save his father. And despite all the things he could do, all those powers, I think that that vulnerability, uh, however they're able to accomplish it, is uh, is kind of interesting. You know, that, that vulnerability, um, Superman lost his parents in the comic book about 1962. And he couldn't do anything about it then either. He even tried to time travel to get them the the solution for the I remember. Rare disease. Okay, mm-hmm. so so that that thread goes back actually a half a century in terms of there are just some things that Superman himself just could not do. Like oh, and another one was. You know, think about it. He had got he had found Brainiac with the city of Candor, and in the old comic books, at least, he was never able to figure out how to go ahead. And make <laughs> That's Candor, right. Yeah, um, restore bigger. Candor. So, so that you know, this uh, it may appear new, but it it it's been around for at least a half a century. They started bringing that that mm-hmm. kind of thing in in the sixties. Mm-hmm. The way the way you should relate to Superman is yes, there are some things he can't do. Uh, as a you know, as a parent during the pandemic, I totally one hundred percent relate to Clark in this series. That there are um, there's some things that you can do for your family, and you want to do everything you can, but there's some things uh, that you can't do, and. Uh, you know that's that's a really amazing way of making Superman relatable, and I, I completely I completely approve of it uh, of what they what they've done and how how they how they've approached the character in the series. Mm-hmm. Agreed, and the focus on that like, yeah, you might be our father, but you're the world's essentially you know Superman, the person who can combat all the horrible things that could happen. So. How do you adapt to share that and still get your dad? It's it's, it's a hard situation. I, 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 same. I I love how they're they're really putting that as the forefront of all of this. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know the interesting thing uh, about that question, I think that where the comics have been at least is that it wouldn't be possible for him to do both, and so. He sacrificed having the family because his his devotion was due to the world. And, yeah. uh, you know, of course, in in modern terms, uh, we all want to have our cake and eat it, too. And so it's like, well, I, I am going to marry Lois and we are going to have a family. And I thought it was interesting how in that pilot episode um, in the beginning, as he was revisiting some of the great moments of his life that he described the greatest moment as when he first met her but um you know since we were talking a little bit about uh you know where where the character has been this might be a good point to uh talk a little bit about some of the creators and artists and writers who have contributed 
to the Superman legend. You know, I mean, of course, starting with uh, Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. And I'm just going to throw out a bunch of names. Edmund Hamilton, Bill Finger, Otto Bender, Wayne Boring, Kerry Bates, Al Plastino, Kurt Swan. Kurt Swan stands out for me. Um, another comic book iteration that I really liked, it was when John Byrne came over to DC and he reinterpreted the character because uh, there was there was a lot of great stuff and in, in, including stuff that you might initially think was questionable because I remember uh, in the um, in the first uh, in the first miniseries that he drew uh, they instead of being the ball boy or you know the equipment manager Clark was actually like the starting tailback for the Smallville High School football team. And he was crushing it. I thought it was interesting that um, Byrne allowed him to go in that direction, you know, versus the way it had always been portrayed in the comics and on television and on the radio show. Smallville touched on that, and he, he tried yep. out for the football team. And actually, right. uh, Superman and Lois is, is dealing with that same issue it's an ongoing it's an ongoing yeah. concern like what uh how, how super can i be around uh mere mortals, mortals. what can i do <laughs> is a bird showing off when it flies mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i was right. literally gonna ask that because i thought it served some inspiration for that in particular with smallville and then even on top of that i was going to say a lot of the feel of lois and, or of superman and lois feels like an ex it's an extension of Smallville. Mm. I liked it a great deal, and I feel like a lot of the, the heart of that show came, also went through into Superman and Lois, and I've enjoyed that thoroughly. But at least as of, like, written, probably my favorite is Jeff Loeb and Tim Sales for All Seasons. Um, I think it, it, it purely captures, especially the, the, the vulnerabilities of Clark when he's questioning at the very beginning when he first goes to Metropolis and things aren't quite going right and he's like, I need to go back. I need to go back to Smallville. Like, I can't do this. Like, like I cannot do this. And to see him freak out in that way and kind of start over in Smallville again and then, you know, build up the strength to be like, I can do this. was just huge. And the fact that each season is told by a different character that has been impacted by him. So you're also hearing the kind of origins of Superman out of their mouths, which is kind of an interesting take, but it doesn't lose that heart. And I think that's also why I ended up loving the Tomasi rebirth stuff so much because it brought that, the important meaning of why Superman matters to modern now and, and, and trying to work against a lot of like the people who hated like the Boy Scout or it's kind of been the way it marketed, especially in like the nineties and such. It's like, no, this can matter again, and we can show you in the raising of a child. And that's I think that's what I love the most about the show, is that's exactly what we're dealing with. I think it's interesting. I, I grew up in a small town, and I, I relate to so much of that, and to, you know, football, high school football being such a huge deal, both to the kids in the high school and the people who are in the town. And Clark going back to his hometown and dealing with, you know, it's not the Smallville where he grew up. This is a Smallville now with it's fallen on hard times. There, there are social issues. You know, the 21st century hit some of these small towns really hard. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to deal with that. And um, this is something the comics have addressed at least since the 70s, that there are, there are things that even a Superman can't change all by himself. 
Yeah. Excellent points. We are going to come back to all of that because that musical cue means that we have reached the end of the first segment of the show. Of course, Fantastic Forum comes to you via WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We're a community radio station. And among other things, what that means is, is that we are beholden to uh, our uh, sponsors and our underwriters and listeners like you. For the totality of the operation of the radio station, we'd very much like you to consider becoming a sponsor. Uh, visit the website at WERA.FM or our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media at ArlingtonMedia.org to find out how you can support this vital community resource. And your gifts are tax deductible. So we're going to pause momentarily while we uh, acknowledge the invaluable contribution of those underwriters and sponsors. We're also going to promote some of the other fine offerings of WERA, but don't go anywhere because Camille, Warren, and Andrew and I will be right back right after this. And we're back on Fantastic Forum here on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. Radio Arlington. I am Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Warren Bernard, Camille Richardson, and Andrew Farrago. We have been talking about the new CW series Superman and Lois, which uh, debuted about a month ago. Um, There were some really interesting points, though, right before the break that uh, Andrew had made about the the way that Smallville is being presented, how, um, you know, Smallville uh, has sort of fallen on uh, the difficult times that so many of our rural uh, towns and villages uh, and, and smaller areas have encountered in the 21st century. And uh, that is, that's a very interesting aspect to the show. You know, the other thing that they're doing with that is the Morgan Edge character, who, of course, Morgan Edge uh, came on the scene in the comics in the 1970s. As I recall, he was the owner of GBS, the Galaxy Broadcasting System, that had absorbed the Daily Planet and um, Clark Kent and Lois Lane and uh, uh, the various crew over there at the Daily Planet all transitioned to broadcast media, which was a very interesting uh, turn of events. But uh, yeah, so uh, the Morgan Edge character is being used similarly to uh, the way that they had him in uh, Supergirl. Because as I recall, Morgan Edge has popped up there as sort of the uh, a, um, uh, a billionaire rogue uh, running this company and, uh, you know, one of these robber baron types. And, uh, you know, what, what the way that Lois has been fixated on him uh, has been, has been kind of interesting. Well, that's what you get when you get a uh, cynical big city person looking at a rapacious capitalist standing on a small town. Very well said. But the way that the townsfolk are uh, sort of welcoming him with open arms. It's created some, yeah, it's created some conflict there uh, with Lois and some of her new neighbors, including the family of Lana. What is it? La- I, I want to keep calling her Lana Lang, but she's married to some guy. Uh, what's what's the, 
L Lana Jerk Crawford off. or Lana, yes, <laughs> Lana yeah, Jerkoff, right. yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, I love uh, what Emmanuel Cricky, uh, you know, who's uh, playing Lana, and uh, I've liked her since uh, that uh, Entourage, uh, Entourage mm -hmm. that she was on, you know. But um, you know, but I like Lana, and of course, Lana is a uh, former uh, girlfriend of Clark. I mean, I know they're, they're, of course, just friends now, but your ex pops up, and that's always an interesting dynamic, even though Lois is the, the apple of his eye, the love of his life, and all that. But, uh, but it's interesting you know, to see a breakdown that's also a very modern one that we're dealing with currently, with a small town that you know relies on blue-collar workers, people who need jobs, but they don't want to necessarily see the bigger picture. They want to make sure they can help their main community, even though it could potentially hurt them. So... It's really fascinating that they're bringing that up in that way and to see how that will go down because you can see both sides. And I'm wondering how they're going to play that out, especially with Lana's husband. So it is interesting to see how that will do. Yeah. I, honestly, I'm hoping that Edge is not behind all of this because, you know, it, reverting to type, that it, I, I, I would just be so shocked if Morgan Edge ended up having the best interests of the town at heart and he wasn't trying to wring like the blood out of everybody. I think that'd be just kind of refreshing, you know, because <laughs> they got a lot of other stuff going on. I mean, there's Captain Luthor and, you know, who knows what's exactly happening with uh, General Lane. Yeah. It's just it's just so exciting in terms of where all this stuff is going. And I, I mean, I'm I'm just delighted. Not that I had anything against Supergirl, but, you know, this this propensity that the network has had to um, to downplay Batman or Superman in favor of lesser known characters. Um, you know, I, I just I I don't know. I, I don't see why you don't want to. Hey, lead with your A team here. You know, I mean, you know, I, and I also felt like that was part of the reason that, uh, uh, you know, they cast this guy, you know, as Superman. I mean, he's he's really good as a lead, but the fact that he was cast to be Superman on somebody else's show, I, I thought was noteworthy. You know, I mean, I had the feeling that they just would have gone in a slightly different direction, uh, you know, if it had, you know, if they'd been casting Superman from the beginning. But I, I think I, it's, I think it's fun that people are going to see Superman as a as a spinoff of his cousin's <laughs> show. And that's kind of a, that's kind of a fun thing. I think the. I would, I would bet, I would bet the creative personnel told, would say that, you know, you get a little more freedom when you start with Green Arrow. The expectations are just so much lower. Nobody's going to object much if you if you take Green Arrow in unexpected directions. There's pressure uh, in Batman and Superman that you you just don't get with those characters, and that's why we have an Arrowverse instead of a, a Superverse. It's kind of mm. interesting. Um, oh, uh, time for me to remind everybody that you are listening to Fantastic Forum on WERA 96.7 FM and streaming via WERA.FM. We are your community radio station. I'm Ulysses E. Campbell. I'm joined today by Andrew Farrago and Camille Richardson and Warren Bernard. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about just uh, DC uh, stuff on the CW in general, but specifically today we've been talking about Superman and Lois, the uh, latest show 
from DC Comics that appears on the CW. And uh, we're almost out of time, but uh, I, I, for, the, for the time we have remaining, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Superman character, uh, how the character is viewed by fans today, and how he's sort of evolved over the past 80 years. And I know we've talked a little bit about that, but um, let, me, let me lead with this. Uh, I, uh, I pulled up uh, some names and I did some math. And I think it's interesting and noteworthy that um, the, the first two gentlemen who played Superman on the silver screen and on television uh, were older than uh, uh, subsequent people to play him. Kirk Allen, when he first uh, started playing Superman in the serial in 1948, he was 38. George Reeves, when he first donned the costume, for Superman and the Mole Men uh, in 1951, he was 37. But Christopher Reeve, when he appeared as Superman in the 1978 movie, was only 26. Dean Cain in Lois and Clark in 1993, he was 27 when that show started. Brandon Routh for Superman Returns in 2006 was also 27. And uh, Tyler uh, Hoechlin, he's 29, so he's the oldest Superman that we've had in a while. But, you know, this to me smacks of the way the character is viewed, because clearly uh, in, in the 30s and the 40s, this was an older guy than he is today. You and know? the 50s. And, yes, exactly. Now that, now, that he's the, now that he's the father of teenagers, he's so much younger. That's kind of strange. Um that they did that with the casting. Uh, I do like that he's younger than Lois, and I actually think, uh, I think in the comics and in the movies and everything else, I think he should be younger than Lois. I do think he's she's the experienced reporter, mm-hmm. uh, and that that's part of why he's um, so impressed by her every time he meets her, like in every every universe <laughs> where they <laughs> where they meet up. Along those same lines, one of the other differences is is that Mon Pa Kent was shown to be much older when they first got Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you, you kind of have to take that into account. And when, when the first death of Mon Pa Kent came out was in 1962, um, they were clearly in their in their 70s. They were old and gray, mm-hmm. and you know all all of those kinds of things. They they were not the the more vibrant. Um, grandma and grandpa type that 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 you now see on television mm-hmm. out of curiosity because one complaint i had at least with new 52 obviously i'm more modern but one of my biggest complaints was that they killed both uh jonathan and martha kent off at the same time and i felt like that didn't make any sense to me and but what would the difference between him and batman be essentially growing up especially if he doesn't have martha kind of guiding him uh, was there any other time ever with Superman that had ever happened? Like, obviously, they were both dead at a certain point, but at the same time? Yes, when when they, the death of Mon Park Kent in 62, they both died at the exact same time. Okay. Yeah, well, with, with, within seconds of each other, you know, I mean, I, as I recall, Pa Kent had enough time to, you know, lay on him that whole, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility mm-hmm. line. But, Wait, so if they yeah, both went they, at the same time, what was it of? They, they died of some weird disease that was picked up in the Caribbean in the 1500s. <laughs> okay. 
I'm sorry. I, yeah. you know, I'm, I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> yeah, time traveling hijinks, as I recall, with that Caribbean disease. Yes, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what happened, right? And and they both died at the he, Superman lost his parents at the same time. And yeah, like t- I said, in the in the in the in the Sunday comics, there was no Mon Pa Kent. It it didn't it didn't exist well into the fifties. But it but it is interesting to me though, uh, him being a reporter and you know the way that that profession was viewed in 1938 versus the way that it was viewed today. And in fact, even in the 70s, when uh, the the comics transitioned them all to broadcast television, and then ultimately back to print media, you know, because hell, you know, in the mid 70s, this was. Oh, newspapers were dying. Oh, yeah, WGBS. And, you know, they're all I mean, although I did think it was somewhat questionable at the time that all these people who were established print journalists could so easily transition to being on camera talent. You know, well, maybe Steve Lombard, because, you know, you expect the jock guy who had been, the <laughs> you know, quarterback of uh, the Metropolis team to be able to do that. Yeah, Clark but. Clark got about five minutes notice like, hey, you're a newspaper. You're a you're a. TV reporter now, (laughs) uh, you know, no, no training or anything. Just like, here's a, here's a remote microphone and camera setup. Go to, go to cover this rocket launch. And uh, you're a TV reporter. Bam. It's called transferable skills. Yeah. (laughs) Well, but you know, also the way that the, uh, the writers and the editors, uh, you know, saw, uh, trying to keep in trying to keep pace with uh, what they saw as as these innovations. The the other thing um, you know that I that I just have to mention is how uh, the, the the Superman story has been retold time and time again, but with these slight changes. I mean, you know, they they did it in the Image uh, comic Invincible. Uh, you know, you you have um, uh, you know what uh, Marvel uh, sort of did with the character Hyperion. Uh, you know, there's that Mark Wade story, Irredeemable. I mean, you know, there's just all these different. Yes, this yeah. baby came from an advanced civilization and landed Superior. on Earth and grew up, yeah, with these powers. And hilarity ensues. You know, <laughs> it's like so. <laughs> you know, but it's uh, but it's all very. It's all very interesting, and uh, I'm 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 looking with great interest uh, to see what happens with this Superman and Lois. Apparently, uh, the initial order was for like 15 episodes, and the CW ordered like an additional four or five. So it's going to get pretty much a, a full uh, season. The ratings for the first one, they're like the best overnight ratings that the CW has seen, and so they wow. they renewed it for a second season. So, right. Yes. You know, yeah, th- so, that yes. was very quick. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, but what's not to like about Superman? I mean, I, I, I got to confess, Superman and Batman. And don't get me wrong. I love Mar- I love me some Marvel comics. <laughs> I love Marvel comics. But Superman and Batman from when I was a kid, those were my favorite superheroes. To me, it, it's a shame what has happened with the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, you know, Marvel now is perceived as being the, the top of the mountain. And, uh, you know, the DC characters yeah. are, are almost afterthoughts. And it, it really should be the other way around. I mean, I tell people all the time, look, all right, so, 
you know, your dad liked Marvel Comics, but your grandpa liked DC. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, you know, these everything characters. Everything has to be the Christopher Nolan, you know, method of doing things, and that's where they have failed immensely in their movies. I'll say, is- I'll say for myself personally. Um, I really think Superman 2 was the last great Superman movie 40 years ago. Yeah. And yeah. if you had told me as a little kid, if you're going to see multiple great Rocket Raccoon movies before you ever see another good <laughs> Superman movie, <laughs> I would never not wrong. have not taken that bet. Well, it you know. sucks because like, at least modern right now, I don't blame Henry Cavill. Like, I blame the writing and I mean Man of, I mean you know how I feel about Man of Steel Yuli I mean when you've got Jonathan Kent saying maybe you should have let those kids die it's like what is this I can't I'm not, allowed, I'm not allowed right. to start talking about Man of Steel because you'll be here for three hours with me <laughs> point by point like this is this was wrong this is what I did not Just, like about it I switch the game Henry Cavill at the chance it's a lot easier to talk about what I liked about Man of Steel, then it's, I mean, excuse me, it's a shorter conversation <laughs> than to talk about what I didn't like about it. <laughs> so, that, first so there's that. that first time he flew was great. I will, I will praise that forever. That was great. <laughs> well, you know, I, I kind of liked when he came out from under the locomotive and uh, he's looking at Colonel Hardy and the look is like, dude, dude, come on. And Hardy's finally like, this man is not our enemy. I was like, yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> and then, after he's destroyed the world engine, and Hardy turns to Lois and he says, he did it. <laughs> those, as far as I'm concerned, those are the two best moments in the movie, <laughs> aside from the flying part. And, and we can let it all go. But like I said, I still, I, I, to me, the DC characters have primacy. And I wish that... Uh, Warner Brothers actually understood the value of the intellectual property that they have because the, the, it, it should be so much bigger. And in fact, I, I, you know, maybe if you guys are willing to come back you know, after uh, Justice League drops because I'd love to talk about the Justice League of America because back to the old filmation cartoons in the, in the mid-60s, uh, the Justice League of America, that's, I mean, hey, I love the Fantastic Four, love the Avengers, but the Justice League of America, this to me is the premier superhero team, you know? I mean, and uh, and they, and in fact, th- this was one of the things that really upset me back in 1978, because I, I remember walking out of Superman the movie and I was so stoked for the Justice League because Wonder Woman was on to, you know, with the Linda Carter was on TV at the time. Um, Batman with Adam West hadn't been off that long. I mean, it'd been like eight, nine years since that had been on TV. They just did Superman and Green Lantern. Well, let's face it. That's just some animation effects, you know. So right mm-hmm. there, you can do the Justice League. <laughs> you can do it. And instead of doing Justice League, they went to this endless cycle of sequels. I mean, Superman 2 was great. I wouldn't, I wouldn't substitute it for anything. But, you know, at some point in there, they should have done what Marvel did. You know, you set it up for where you can do a super team movie. And, uh, and they could have done it 40 years earlier. Yeah, but True. they didn't. 
(laughs) (laughs) Well, look, um, any final thoughts? So I had, like, one weird kind of thing. It was like, okay, I love that they have more black representation. However, they're only the bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) I I noticed that. (laughs) And that could be written in a great way later to see maybe the change in them. Maybe they're not that, like, true, full-on bad guys and there's some kind of redemption thing that might happen. But just a weird kind of observation of just, like, why? I agree with that one. Um, well, his, his one son is so whiny, I just want to smack him. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh man, come on, guy, wah, 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 give me a break. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a great big multiverse out there, and I, I love that we're, we're getting this approach, so if, if, um, you know, if you want to watch the Harley Quinn show on HBO Max, and if that's your your DC universe, that's great. If you have been pestering Warner Brothers for the Snyder Cut for the past five years and they're finally getting it, you know that can be your thing. If uh, you know, if you want, if you're enjoying Superman and Lois, uh, I'm excited about the the next, uh, actually the the current Superman comics on the stands now that DC's done their their post-future state uh now that they're they're establishing that direction um yeah it's it's such a he's he's such a great character there's so much uh that you know 80 years on can still be said and still be done with this character and um you know i'm i'm here for it i think the i think the world needs that optimism and that sincerity and i think uh so far it feels like this show is is bringing us that Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now, uh, since uh, everybody has been listening to us uh, for uh, the better part of an hour here, I also, uh, in case any of the listeners are interested in following any of you guys, uh, how can they do so? Of course, um, Andrew, you were talking. Uh, the museum just reopened. Hmm? I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the colors mean at all, but we are we're in the red tier. We're moving toward orange. We were in... Mm-hmm and grape for a while and then you know now we're moving into (laughs) whatever but uh you know we're open to the public again uh the cartoon art museum in san francisco so for the moment we're we're open on weekends but we're gradually uh heading back toward our six days a week uh open to the public schedule so go to cartoonart.org for that and andrewfarago.com is where i update you on personal projects like any any uh, books that I'm writing on uh, DC Comics or other subjects. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. And uh, Warren Bernard, uh, you know, if if people want to catch up with you or uh, with SPX, I know it's probably a little early to figure out what's happening, whether or not uh, this very popular show is going to be back live uh, this year. But what what can you tell us uh, about that and about you? Well, um, I have. Uh, I do not post on any social media, so I don't know how. <laughs> and that's a tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I'm I'm working on a museum exhibition right now. I'm working on a book, so all, all of that stuff keeps me away from um, social media. So uh, they can send me emails. My email is out on the uh, smallpressexpo.com website, so they can contact me there about any wide 
ranging series of subjects about co- about comics. So, mm-hmm. cool. All right, and Camille Richardson. Um. Well, you can follow phantomcomics.com, and that's Phantom with an F as in Frank. You can find any you know modern comics there that we sell down to even gaming and other merchandise. Um, but aside from that, uh, you can find me on Instagram under either Camille Richardson or Dernhelm. <laughs> if you're a super Tolkien nerd, you'll find me there as well. <laughs> and of course, Fantastic Forum is also a television show. Check your local listings for the time in your area. You can also visit the website at fantasticforum.tv. We have the discussion portion broken out, the toy and game profiles, the interviews, the event coverage, all of that. And uh, just for you there, fantasticforum.tv. Of course, the show re-airs each and every Thursday here on WERA from 3 to 4. If you miss any portion of it on Saturdays, you can tune in on Thursday afternoons. And the show is available as a podcast, thanks to our friends at the Great Geek Refuge on all platforms where you can download your favorite podcast. And of course, be sure to come back again next week. Same bat time, same bat station. Have a wonderful rest of the weekend. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>